If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Good afternoon to my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 58 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this Sunday, August 9th, 2020. A brand new month since we spoke last, but let's get things started by, as always, giving our shout out to the Team Left Jab United Radio Network, as well as Grunt Talks MLB. First up, as always, Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Uncensored and the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Be sure to go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms at Team Left Jab and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, you name it, the list goes on, guys. Be sure to check out Team Left Jab. And our other shout-out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also follow the man behind the website, Darren on Twitter at YankeeReport28. Special thanks to Grunt Talks MLB and Team Left Jab for helping spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. And also as a reminder, guys, be sure to follow me on all social medias, of course. You can find my Facebook fan page at MikeScuderoNY, and you could definitely find me on Twitter since I'm most active on there, at Mike Scudero, and you can find me on Instagram as well, at MikeScuds97. And of course, don't forget, unless I say otherwise, there's a new Yapping Yankees episode every Sunday, and be sure to always listen and subscribe to Yapping Yankees on SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Whew. It is August 9th, a new month. Yapping Yankees episode 58 is finally here, guys. I missed you last weekend. These last two weeks have been <laughs> interesting. Let's go with interesting. But here's the short version of some things that have happened. More or less, right after we spoke two Sundays ago, as we know, some guys on the Marlins thought it's smart to go to a club in the time of a pandemic with the season having just gotten underway after opening weekend when tons of them tested positive, well over a dozen of them, resulting in postponed games for the Phillies, the Yankees, the Orioles, and of course, themselves. It had people questioning if the season could even make it a few more days, and that was just a mess. So, shame on the Marlins for going out to a club thinking that was a great idea to go to a club, and then not mention to anybody before their third and final game against the Phillies on opening weekend that they had some guys that had tested positive, and they didn't think to let anybody know, not even even their opponents, the Phillies, they just gathered together in a big players meeting and just decided, eh, it's probably a good decision to just go out there and still play today, not mention anything to anybody, not the Phillies, not the league, not anybody. So yes, the Marlins definitely proved to be very, very dopey with the way they handled all of that, putting the season in jeopardy. That whole thing was a mess. We'll get into that later. But we'll also discuss how something similar took place with the St. Louis Cardinals now having had an outbreak of their own after they thought it wise to go to a casino. 
<laughs> you can't make this up. And that's postponing games even now this weekend. They were supposed to be taking on the Cubs. And after the whole thing with the Marlins, you also had Manfred writing to the MLBPA, threatening to cancel the season if things don't get under control. <clears throat> yeah. Him, the commissioner, telling others only to fix things, continuing the deflection seminar, and taking virtually no responsibility as per usual. It was just a mess for a while, so COVID has clearly had a great time these last couple of weeks. And again, we'll discuss all of that stuff briefly later on. And speaking of the Yankees, they also went on a good winning streak to start things off, and now they have some things to be concerned about these days. We'll get into that later as well. And personally, in my own personal life, well... That's just been peachy too. <laughs> I fractured a bone in my right pinky finger playing dodgeball with my friends, and that's just been a joy to deal with. And yes, I am right-handed, which automatically makes it about a thousand times more annoying. And I still have a splint on it now as I'm recording so that the finger stays straight. But yeah, I tried to go for a catch and dodgeball against one of my friends who throws very, very hard. And we all throw really hard because we like to play competitive. We have a lot of fun. So... I tried to go for a catch, and the throw hit my pinky finger the wrong way when I tried to catch it. And it must have just hit my finger the wrong way, because I've played plenty of sports before with friends, or maybe in gym and school, I don't know. Or I played baseball in Little League. I did play sports before. But in trying to catch, perhaps in other sports like basketball or baseball, I have jammed my finger before. And you know that baseballs and basketballs are harder than the foam balls they use in dodgeball. So this injury really confused me at first. It must have just hit my finger the wrong way. But on impact, it fractured my right pinky finger, and it just felt like a really bad jam at first. You know, you just jam your finger and then maybe after an hour or so, maybe even less, the pain just, you know, naturally starts to subside. Well, this time it didn't. And when I got home, not only did the pain worsen, but the top of my finger also started to turn purple. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like, all right, yeah, this isn't just a jam. This is at least a sprain or it could also be a fracture. And I went for an x-ray the next day. And yes, it turned out to be a fracture. Fun stuff. But I'll try to point out to you which bone it is. If you look at your pinky finger, of course, at the very bottom, you have the knuckle on your hand, the five knuckles that go across from the thumb to the pinky. So the bottom knuckle, then there's the bone in the middle of the finger, and then there's one last bone about three quarters of the way up on the finger. The bone that's about three quarters of the way up, closest to the top of the finger, is the bone that I fractured. It is more painful than you'd think, and it is more annoying to deal with than you would think. And honestly, you usually are not reminded of this until you hurt one of them, but until you injure one, you really don't know how annoying it is not being able to use even one of your fingers. It is so annoying, but this bone has a really special name to it. It's a really weird name. Hold on. I got my piece of paper right here. Hold on. All right, so here's the name of the bone, I think. I think it's the distal fifth phalange. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's P-H-A-L-A-N-G-E. Please forgive me. I'm not a medical doctor, but I think it's the phalange, phalange. I don't know. I'm waiting for somebody to school me on the pronunciation of this, but I really, I'm not sure. It says finger fracture. Well, that I know, of course. I know I fractured it. Of the distal fifth phalange, phalange. I'm just assuming the P-H makes an F sound, so phalange, I guess, phalange. That's my best guess. I'm taking a shot at it. You medical doctors out there listening, just hit me up on social media or something or comment below on YouTube and just school me on the pronunciation of this. I need help. <laughs> but yeah, this has just been frustrating to deal with amongst all the other things. But it happens, and that's the risk you take when you play sports. There's always that risk of getting hurt. So yeah, I've got the splint on my finger right now, and there should be about 
two and a half weeks, give or take, left of healing because this happened about a week and a half ago. And it says on the piece of paper here on my medical report that it takes about three to four weeks for it to heal. So we'll see what happens with that. And also, yeah, it's not over yet. Five days ago on Tuesday, the tropical storm that clubbed the East Coast, Isaias, I think it's called. Who cares? I don't. All I care about is that it ran through New York and left as quickly as it came and left many without power for days, including yours truly. We only got our power back in like the late afternoon into the early evening on Thursday. So over two days and some still don't have power. My father is one of them and he may not get power back until Monday. And if that's true, that means he'll have been without power for six days, a day longer than we were out of power for, for Hurricane Sandy. And my fellow New Yorkers, you know that although this tropical storm this past week had some threatening winds, no doubt, there is no comparison, though, to Hurricane Sandy. There is no excuse for having people out of power for nearly a week. All the money we spend here in New York for all these services, electric, the roads, all taxes in general, especially property taxes. And what do we get in return for spending all that money, you might ask? Absolutely nothing. If you call up PSE&G Long Island like I did, and that's Long Island's power company for those of you who don't know. If you call them up for power restoration information like I did on when we're getting our power back from the tropical storm with no air conditioning in the middle of the summer, food's going bad in the freezer and the fridge, and so many more things, you know the deal. You call them up, and after you go through their stupid prompts, you get the automated system saying, we can't help you right now, goodbye. Well, just tell me to dive headfirst off the roof while you're at it. Great job, PSCNG Long Island. What a joke. Their response to all of this has been shamefully embarrassing. I just had to get that out of my system, and I've ranted about it so many times already, and I just had to do it here. But guys, again, it's been an interesting two weeks to say the least, and I've been keeping you guys posted on social media, especially Twitter, if you've seen. Always stay tuned to my social media, guys, you know that. But it's just been so crazy. I did get a haircut yesterday, though. Listen, I'm just trying to come up with any positive I can. Leave me alone. But let's get to the main subject matter. <laughs> it's enough of talking about the craziness of these last two weeks. It's obvious just a lot happened. And I did manage to enjoy most of these last two weeks off without yapping Yankees, but clearly these last two weeks were also filled with quite a bit of aggravation. But as far as today's concerned, we got two weeks to catch up on for today's yapping Yankees episode. So I figured I'd switch up the format for today's show a bit. Since we have a bit to discuss, I figured for this week we merge the weekly recap and the Yankees news segments and just run through each day from two Mondays ago up to now because usually I do Yankees news and the recap segment of the past week's games separately. But if I did news from two Mondays ago to now and then did the recap of games from two Mondays ago to now separately, I'd be here taping until next Sunday. So for this special two-week catch-up edition of Yapping Yankees, I figured I merged the two segments together and just do both through each day to save time. That'll make for a better show. Otherwise, it'll all be jumbled and confusing for you to follow and annoying for me to put together. <laughs> so that's what we'll do today. But We've got a lot to run through from the Yankees gameplay the last two weeks. Now that 15 games have been played in this 60-game abbreviated season as of last night after game two of yesterday's doubleheader, officially marking the quarterway point of the season already. Of course, the game that will be happening in a couple of hours, the last game in Tampa, today will be the 16th game of the season. And so obviously after today, we'll be past the quarterway point by one game. It's going fast as we knew it would. But again... 
Today will be the 16th game, but I will not be reacting to this one today live like I did last episode because I'm recording way before today's game even starts. And it's still in the late morning right now, so by the time I finish recording, the game may have not even started yet, or it might just be getting underway. I don't know, but either way, right now, in this moment that I'm taping, we're still a couple of hours away from game time. But I must say... Reacting to the Yankees-Nationals game two Sundays ago was fun. They ended up winning that one, and they were in a tie when I finished recording, if you recall, so that's really cool. But again, because of how early it is in the day today, I will not be recording my live reaction to the game as I tape Yapping Yankees, because unlike two Sundays ago when the game was going on while I was taping, I'm taping way before today's game against the Rays even starts, so... When this comes out later, the game will already be over and you'll know the outcome of it. But right now, again, the game is hours away from starting and all I have is the lineup, so I'll read that for you later. And hopefully you're in a good mood after a win once you're listening to this later on in the day. But we've got games to cover and I'll just be giving final scores from the games from two weeks ago. I'll talk more about details and scoring plays for this past week only. And of course, we have plenty of news. One of those stories is that something else that was negotiated into games for this unique shortened season that was never agreed upon in return to play proposals has now become a reality on the fly just like putting a runner on second base at the start of every half inning in extra innings was and we spoke about that being agreed upon on the last yapping yankees episode two weeks ago and now for this week we'll be getting into what this second change is in certain games' formats in just a moment since our poll actually has to do with it and it is a big change in format for certain games it's a big deal and it's worth talking about considering the yankees have had to do it twice already also the Yankees bullpen was dealt a huge blow with the loss of a key arm for the rest of the season and for the next 9 to 12 months due to needing Tommy John surgery and another injury that happened just yesterday in the doubleheader against Tampa. Injuries seem to be returning a bit to say the least because quite frankly what limits does 2020 have? That's right absolutely none. Just waiting for the meteor to hit at this point but in any event we do have those injury updates and updated health protocols in light of what happened with the boneheaded Marlins and Cardinals and roster moves up to this point as well. So what do you say we get into all of it, starting with this week's poll on Twitter, and then we'll go through these past two weeks, starting two Mondays ago on July 27th, covering big pieces of news on each of those days, if any, for certain days, as well as what happened in the games on those days. So let's do it here on episode 58 after two wild weeks. And again, this week's poll question having to do with the second change in format for certain games in the 2020 season going forward is how do you feel about seven inning double headers and even if you want in the comments whether you think it helps or hurts the Yankees in any way and I ask this question primarily because the Yankees played a seven inning double header yesterday and they also played a seven inning double header earlier in the week against the Phillies for the games they had postponed against them thanks to the Marlins shenanigans. So the Yankees have had to do it twice already. People are feeling very passionate about this, and I'll give my take on it as well right now. And obviously, this is the second format change for games in this 2020 abbreviated season. A couple of weeks ago, right after the season started, as we spoke about on the last episode two weeks ago, it was agreed upon by Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Union that every half inning and extra innings, there would be a runner on second base to start the half inning. And now, as of a week and a half or two ago, also on the fly, just like the runner on second and extra innings rule was agreed upon on the fly as well, just as the season was getting underway. Now, on
on the fly as of a week and a half or two ago. The seven-inning doubleheaders was agreed upon by both sides, and now they're enforcing it for the rest of this season. In the future, we're not sure yet, but for this season, they are instilling the seven-inning doubleheaders. And it doesn't surprise me that Major League Baseball would pull off something like this, but again, just like with the runners on second rule for every half inning and extra innings, how it was agreed upon out of nowhere after it was agreed upon that it wasn't going to happen throughout this season. Like when the season was enforced by Rob Manfred finally and the league ultimately when they said, yeah, this season's going to be 60 games and the only factor that was being discussed in the return to play proposals that'll actually be a legitimate outcome for this season will be the universal DH. That's not the case anymore because right around the time the season was starting on the fly after it was already agreed upon that they were enforcing the 60 game season. As we spoke about two weeks ago, out of nowhere, the two sides just said, yeah, we're going to do the runner on second thing for extra innings. And then a little while later, a few days after we spoke last here on Yapping Yankees for the last episode on episode 57, they came out and said, yeah, we're going to do the seven inning doubleheaders too, like it was discussed in the return to play proposals. But that was never agreed upon because the two sides never agreed on a return to play proposal proposal. The season had to be enforced as we know. But yeah, we're going to do the seven inning doubleheaders anyway. So yeah, pulling this out of nowhere, just like they did with putting a runner on second base at the start of every half inning and extra innings. I was just like, okay, whatever. Not surprised. Very Manfred-esque, I suppose. But here's my take on it. Obviously, cutting two innings off a Major League Baseball game can alter the course of many things in a given game. If a team seems to be showing signs of coming back if they're down, and they're showing signs of coming back in the sixth and seventh inning, and you say, oh, maybe with two more innings, you know, with the standard nine-inning game, they could find it in them to come back and actually win the game. But then, of course, the game ends in the seventh inning, and those aspirations are put to bed very quickly. And obviously, that's where it could hurt. It could really change the outcome of a lot of games, and I really don't like that. Plus, obviously, cutting two innings off of a Major League Baseball game, it obviously just doesn't feel right. That goes without saying, because baseball games are nine innings long. But I will say right now, just for this season alone, because of how unique and crazy and never before seen that this season is already as it is, and because, of course, especially because of the team outbreaks like the Marlins and the Cardinals, since there's probably going to be a great deal of doubleheaders this season, and we all had that sort of feeling in the back of our minds as a possibility, but even more so now since we know for a fact that there's going to have to be more doubleheaders, even if teams don't get to play each and every single one of the 60 games on their schedule, which was said to be a possibility, at which point they just go by winning percentage or some other stat. But anyway, especially now since it's confirmed that there are going to be a good amount of doubleheaders, I understand the league's desire to not have the players on the field for so long on a given day, two nine-inning games constantly in the time of a pandemic, and maybe you don't want them out there for that long. And for the fact that, hey, this season is crazy enough as it is, so let's just experiment. If there's any season to do it, it's this one. So for those reasons, I guess I could understand and just say whatever about it for this season alone, but I absolutely do not want something like this being permanent for future, regular, 162-game seasons. Absolutely not. Do not even think about it. I'm willing to at least hear crazy ideas, but this is a no-go for me for future seasons. I guess I can understand it for this hectic year, but not for future years when it's back to normal. Absolutely not. Baseball games are nine innings long on a regular given day, and that's the way I want it to stay, and it seems like that's the vast 
popular opinion as well. So I know I'm not alone on this, but whether I'm alone or not doesn't even matter. I do not want this rule to see the light of day for future seasons. So I'll tolerate it for 2020, but not for future seasons. We've already seen it stifle some rallies in some of these doubleheaders because two innings were cut off. That's still another six outs. That's a big deal. But again, for this season, I'll put up with it, but absolutely not for the future. So that's my opinion on it, more or less. I've given my opinions on the thought of this and the thoughts of many of the other format changes like the runner on second base and extra innings. I've given my takes on all of this a few times now in the past, especially when they were being spoken about months ago in the return to play proposals in which none of those were agreed upon, as we know. But that's how I feel. And that's the question for Twitter. We'll probably read about 15 replies as we usually do. But before we do that, let me give you the results. There were three choices for this poll. The first one was that you like the seven inning doubleheaders. The second one was that you don't mind it for just this year. And the third one is for those of you who hate it and wanted nothing to do with it, even for this season. And of the hundreds of you who voted out of the three choices, 51% of you voted that you don't mind it for just this year, and that is the choice that won. 51% of you voted for it. In second place with 35% of the vote is the I hate it choice. So 35% of you hate seven-inning doubleheaders. And finally, 14% of you voted for the fact that you like the seven-inning doubleheaders. So clearly, by a long shot, the vast majority either just don't mind it for this year, or they absolutely hate it. So let's get to reading some replies, and we'll hear what's on some of your minds. We'll start with at NYYFanForever96, and he says, It's not baseball. It's high school baseball. Well, there you go. This is the way a lot of people feel, that a baseball game is nine innings long, and anything less just is not a true game, or as he puts it, like a high school game. At Evan D. Wetzel 4 says, How can a true baseball fan like this, or the extra innings rule? It's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, I really can't blame anybody for feeling this way. There's such radical changes, but I do understand if you're going to experiment with anything, this is definitely the season to do it, no doubt. But as I said before, I too do not like these rules whatsoever, especially not for future seasons, as I said earlier. So I agree with the general dislike of it, but if there's going to be a season to test this out, then I guess it's this year and I suppose I could tolerate it for another month and a half, give or take? I guess I can, but it just better not be there for future seasons. Otherwise, you'll have a very unhappy baseball fan right here. I've expressed that plenty in the past. At Marsha Nicholas says, I hate the fact that I cannot watch the game on TV. Have never been fond of double headers. Oh, so you've never been fond of double headers in general? Because they happen when they need to. But I can understand you not being a fan of seven inning double headers. And why can't you watch it on television? Is it because of the blackouts? Because I have... <laughs> you all know that I have had my rants about that in the past, and I still do. I had a friend of mine up from Florida who doesn't have access to the Yes Network or any cable like ESPN or anything like that, and he's subscribed to MLB.tv, but they still black him out because now that he's up here, local, they don't let him watch the game because of the blackout policy, even though there are no fans in attendance this year which is their excuse for doing it usually, even though that's also ridiculous. But it's even more ridiculous for this season, and they're still doing it. If I go on a rant about that, this episode's going to be an hour long, so I'm not going to go nuts about that just yet. But maybe I'll store that rant for a future week when there's less to talk about. This episode's probably already going to be over an hour long because of everything there is to talk about from the last two weeks, but... 
don't worry about it. <laughs> so yeah, if that's because of the blackouts, then I am very, very sorry about that. That's unbelievably frustrating. But let's keep going. Up next, we have my good friend at Laura underscore Iceman, and Laura says, I don't mind it for the year. With MLB being on a time crunch, this will help speed up the games. It would hurt the Yankees a bit because they have a good bullpen and it won't be used as often. Well, yeah, that could definitely be an aspect as to why it hurts the Yankees. It could also be because the Yankees tend to be a team that likes to come back later in the game that usually take maybe all nine innings to make a comeback. And now there's less time to do that. And we saw that in times in the Tampa Bay doubleheader and in the doubleheader against the Phillies that they seem to be showing some spirit, some possibility to make a comeback later in the game. And it's squashed because the game ends in seven innings. So there's that possibility, and yes, I do agree, Laura, 100%. I don't like it at all, but I will tolerate it for this year. And during a pandemic, too, if it gets the players off the field quicker and prevents more possibilities of contracting the virus, then that helps, too. And as you said, we're also on a crunch for time. At Alan Boba says, it hurts the better teams, or should I say, it gives the average teams a better shot due to limited numbers of at-bats. Yeah, that's what I mentioned before, especially with the Yankees being a team that sometimes likes to rally late in the game. Eighth, ninth inning, that's taken away in a seven-inning doubleheader. At TJT Whitting here says, due to the circumstances, it is what it is. However, those last two innings can mean all the difference when coming from behind, and the Yankees seem to have a knack for doing that just to win a ball game. Yeah, that's what I've been preaching this whole time. I agree. At Pinstripes2820 says it potentially makes standings skewed. Teams that always have nine inning games this season have an advantage if they perform well. This is our second doubleheader and the season is early. Everyone should play nine like always. That could definitely be true as well. Because if a certain team doesn't have to deal with playing as many seven-inning doubleheaders as another team may have to, especially if that team having to play more happens to be the Yankees, which, as we've established, they like to make late-game comebacks, then that could skew things. You're very right about that. I agree. I'm not saying I don't think the Yankees will win first place. I said that I think they will before the season started, and I'm sticking with that. But it could alter some records and could alter the outcomes of some standings. You're not wrong about that. Anything could happen. This entire season is so unpredictable. At Mountain Gal 456, my good friend Tina says, I don't mind it for this year since there are so many different rules due to COVID-19 season, but I wouldn't want it for a regular 162-game season. Play the game the way it's supposed to be played. I 100% agree. Next, we have at KF6888, and she says, The first seven-inning game the other day proved why it sucks. Scored four runs in the seventh and then lost out on two at-bats against the Phillies' bullpen, which is not very good. That is true. They scored four runs in the seventh. They were looking like they were getting ready to come back, even though they were down by a lot. I believe it was 11-3 to going into the seventh. They scored four runs. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that's what happened. It was days ago. And who knows? With the Phillies' bullpen and the way the Yankees hit and their knack for coming back later in the game, maybe another two innings would have done it for them. So, yeah, that's what I was talking about before. That's how it could bite certain teams in the behind when that happens. At the UK, Yankee says, hate it. Purely for the fact that we know for a fact man fraud will try to implement it beyond this season. Yeah, he probably will. <laughs> 
He probably will. I won't disagree with that. At FinsUpDW1 says, Okay, for now. Scoring lots of runs helps. Not as much time for teams to come back. Saves two innings for the bullpen. I guess if you were to look at it the other way, yeah, that's the positive for it. But yeah, there's pros and cons to this. I would say there are more cons, however. But yeah, if you don't get much starting length, that's less innings the bullpen has to eat up. Yeah, you're right. Or to take it a step further, if the starter's having such a phenomenal day on the mound, that gives him more of a chance to go for the complete game since it's less innings and gives even more of a chance for the bullpen to have a day off. Or I should say a game off for that game at least. So yes, you could look at it that way too. Up next is my good friend Rebecca at Peace Now for Life. And Rebecca says, so happy you're back, Mike. Well, thank you, Rebecca. (laughs) I appreciate that. But she went on to say that I hate the seven inning doubleheaders. Baseball is nine innings. They need to stop messing with this game I love. Go Yankees. Well, you know I agree with that. Even though I'm tolerating it for just this year alone, you know I agree. A baseball game is nine innings and enough is enough. This just better not be a thing going forward in future regular seasons. At Scotty underscore does know says, hate it, but understand it for this season only. This is a classic example of wussification in sports if this becomes the norm without a pandemic. Well, wussification is better than the use of another word that I was thinking of, but (laughs) regardless... Yeah, I feel the same. Just for this season, I do not want it going past this season. Up next, we got at B4Mets underscore Yankees, and they say, I don't understand the point of it, but if they do this next year, then I want ticket prices to go down on these games by 30% since I'm losing about 30% of the product I'm paying for. I also feel like they will raise concession prices to make up for it. (laughs) Especially at Yankee Stadium, they better not raise the concession prices even further than they already are. No thank you. But yeah, you are losing a portion of the product, you're right. But while I agree they should probably give something back to the fans in exchange for that if this is to sinfully become a normal thing, they probably wouldn't lower prices on anything because as we know in this really, really dark world we live in, earning money is more important than doing the right thing. So that's that. At DMI199106 says it hurts the Yankees with a good bullpen. It benefits teams with bad bullpens like the Mets, but I'm okay with it for just this strange year. Yeah, there was something similar said in the replies earlier, and I do agree with that. It does have to do with bullpens as well, and it could certainly alter things. Bullpens would certainly have to do less work, especially if the starters throw really, really good games on that particular day. And yeah, for teams with a better bullpen like the Yankees, that could hurt them in a sense. And yeah, it could favor teams with worse bullpens because they may not have much work to do, and they may not be exposed to have bad games as much. And lastly, we'll finish off on Twitter with at CrusadersBBNY, and they say, I love it. They should play seven-inning doubleheaders every Sunday. (laughs) Okay. I see that more as a perspective from somebody who may have been in baseball in their life, maybe as an umpire or a player, maybe as a way to take off stress from a really, really long day and cut some innings off of a game so that the day would be shorter. But yeah, other than that, outside of this year, it's a no from me. As for Twitter, that is all for today with the replies, though. As always, thank you all for the poll interactions on there. Let's head on to Instagram for the poll before we move on to catching up with the last two weeks in Yankees news and the past two weeks Yankee games as well. And on Instagram, obviously the same question applied. How do you feel about seven-inning doubleheaders? And of course, because of the Instagram story polls, there's only two choices allowed. And as you know, on Twitter, I had three choices to choose from. So I had to be a little fancy on the Instagram poll again. So the first choice on Instagram to choose from is that you like the seven inning doubleheaders. And the second choice, I just really combined the second and third choices from Twitter. So the second choice is I don't mind it for just this year or that you hate it. And just like on Twitter, where the vast majority either chose that they don't mind it for this year or that they hate it. 
Well, it's the same thing on Instagram, basically. Because on Instagram, only 11% of the voters voted that they like the seven-inning doubleheaders, and 89% of the voters are either just putting up with it for this year, or they hate it. And we have a few replies on Instagram, so let's get through those before we move on to news and recapping. Up first, we have at Grunt Talks James on Instagram, my good friend James Celestin, and he says, only for this year because of the uncertainty of this pandemic, but next year it better be back to normal. I hate seven-inning baseball. That's basically what I said. It just better be back to normal for next year and the years after that. I don't want this being a normal thing in future years, but I could tolerate it for this year, I guess. Then we have Anthony Nevy. Shout out to the Nevies. The Nevies are really, really great people and cousins to my amazing girlfriend, Victoria. So shout out to the Nevy family. And he says, what is baseball without a full nine inning game? Personally, I enjoy the seventh inning stretch and a chance for a comeback after. Two innings short makes a huge difference in close games, especially for teams holding on by one run. A bloop and a blast can change any game. Well, I agree, man, and I've said it many times while reading these comments. Those are all factors that I've hit on when talking about all kinds of possibilities that could stem from having a seven-inning ball game. But yes, I 100% agree with you. At Richard Chin on Instagram says, I hate it. I hope it's only for this year. Me too. Up next is my girlfriend, Victoria, and she says, I like the seven-inning doubleheaders because I feel that it puts less workload on the guys in one day during these times. Well, yeah, that's what I said before. If you're actually one of the players or maybe part of the umpiring crew or the coaching staff, team personnel, it makes your day shorter, and especially in these horrible times, that could be a good thing. So yeah, maybe if you look at it from their perspective, maybe it could help things. But yeah, I'll tolerate it for this year, but as I've said many times, for future years, it is definitely a big no from me. And lastly, since you know I love to finish off with her on Instagram, great way to finish off my poll segments. Last but certainly not least is my mother, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, Today, if the Yankees had nine innings in their second game, she's talking about yesterday, they might have won. Although I understand that it must be tedious for the players to play so long in one day, especially in these times, I do believe they can handle it. Seven innings is not the way baseball should be played. For this year, as strange as it is, fine. But next year, only nine innings, please. Yes, we've said how much of a difference it could make later in the game if it seems a team could be making a late-game comeback, how it could just squash it immediately because the game is only seven innings long. But yes, Mom, absolutely. Next year and all years after that that are normal seasons, please, nine innings. Absolutely. But those are this week's replies for the poll on Instagram and Twitter. As always, I want to thank each and every one of you guys so much for taking time to join in on the fun with this week's Yapping Yankees poll. You know I greatly appreciate all of your interactions, guys, and you know the drill. If I didn't get to your comment, and I know there were a good amount of people that I still didn't get to their comment, but if you are one of them, you know the deal. Just keep on replying to the polls each week, and I will get to you in the future. Just keep on commenting. But as of now, it is time to get to the final part of our show here on episode 58 catching you up on all the last two weeks since we were off last weekend. I'll be giving you just the final scores of the games from two weeks ago. I'll be giving you more in-depth details about the games and scoring plays and talking points and things like that from all the games from this past week. And as we go through each day, starting from two Mondays ago, I will also be giving you the big pieces of news that came out on that particular day all the way up to today, where we'll be officially caught up. And obviously, if there's less news or maybe not even a game on a given day throughout these last two weeks, obviously, some days will be quicker to go through than others. So let's get our good old-fashioned time machine ready to go and jump back to Monday, July 27th. 
All right, are you here with me? Good, good, let's do it. So for the week of the 27th, not much news happened other than what happened in the beginning of the week with the Marlins situation, so we'll just talk about that. And for the games on this week, two weeks ago, I'm only giving the final score. I may give a big detail or two if it's worth mentioning in any of those games, but otherwise we're mainly going to fly through the first week, and then we'll go through this past week until we're caught up. So right away, early in the morning on July 27th, the very day after I spoke to you last on the 26th, The news broke about the Miami Marlins COVID outbreak, and it surfaced eventually later on that day that they had known the day prior on Sunday when they had their final game of their series against the Phillies at Citizens Bank Park that they had people on their team that had tested positive, and instead of letting the Phillies or the league know, the players gathered together and decided, eh, we're still going to go out and play. Let's not tell anybody, and let's just go out and still play baseball. Shockingly, after that, over a dozen Marlins tested positive. This resulted in a cascade of postponements and panic throughout the whole league, planting doubt in all baseball fans and the league themselves on whether the season would be able to go on, and this was just days after the season had started, right after opening weekend. So obviously, this was not a good look for baseball, and especially not a good look for the Marlins whatsoever. I still feel there should be punishment for them not exercising common sense, but that's just me personally. Because when baseball's first starting and you know how important it is to stay safe and stay away from COVID this season as much as you possibly can if you're a part of a Major League Baseball team, going to a club and breaking protocol is probably not the best thing to do. The season is two months long. I think making sacrifices is possible. I mean, easier said than done. I'm just a fan from the outside. I understand that. But just me personally, I've had to make some sacrifices in my life. I think we all do at one point or another. It's a part of life. And if it's for the greater good, especially in times like this, you've got to just be more careful and use your head a little bit. And the Marlins didn't do that, both with going to the club, which they did, and then, of course, it spread throughout the clubhouse, between going to the club and then not telling anybody, either your opponent or the league. It's just mind-numbing stupidity. So again, this resulted in a number of postponements. The Marlins couldn't play for nearly a week. They had their games postponed against the Orioles, and they had even more games beyond that postponed. The Yankees had to miss a couple of games that they made up in a doubleheader against the Phillies because they couldn't go to Citizens Bank Park and use the visiting clubhouse right after because that's where the Marlins just were when they faced the Phillies on opening weekend. So it was just a mess, and it really had people really wondering if this season would be completed because something like this happened at the very beginning. And because of all the hysteria, social media was just so toxic at this time. I can remember doing my best to stay away from it as much as possible throughout this time period because it was just really, really hard to look at because it was just a lot of negativity, and rightfully so, I suppose. I could see why people thought that way. I mean, I was livid with the Marlins, and just having that happen just after opening weekend, it stinks. It's awful. It sucks. But I didn't need the constant negativity to pile onto it, so I remember just trying to avoid social media that day. So again, because of this whole mess, postponements did happen, and as I said before, it did affect the Yankees because they were headed to Citizens Bank Park to start a four-game series against the Phillies, but they were going to play two games in Citizens Bank, and then a final two games at Yankee Stadium to combine for a four-game series. But because of the debacle with the Marlins and the Visitors Clubhouse in Citizens Bank Park, that didn't happen. 
Instead, both of the Yankees and Phillies games that were due for Monday and Tuesday at Citizens Bank were postponed, and instead, they made a change to the schedule for the Yankees on Wednesday and Thursday to play the Orioles, who they were supposed to play a few days later, but they figured the Yankees on Wednesday and Thursday, while the Phillies and the league figured things out, they figured that maybe they should play their games against the Orioles and get that out of the way at least so they don't stop playing for more than two days. And teams like the Cardinals and the Marlins do have a lot of catching up to do. They've missed far more than two days because of their situations. And since the situation with the Cardinals is still ongoing, at least the Marlins are back to playing again, but it's been a while since the Cardinals have played since the end of July. The 29th, I think. I don't know when or how they'll get their games in or how many games they'll be able to play, but they have a series against Pittsburgh coming up too, the Cardinals. And as of right now, early on Sunday, there's still no word on the status of that series, so I wish the Marlins and the Cardinals luck for them making up their games. Lots of doubleheaders whenever they can, I guess. You might have to go with win percentage with them because they might not get all 60 in. But with the Yankees, they figured, just get the Orioles games out of the way and play those at Camden Yard. So that's what they did for Wednesday and Thursday. So we'll jump right to Wednesday since not much happened on Tuesday. Tuesday was just basically surrounded with a lot of the same discussion that happened on Monday because of what happened with the Marlins. So we'll jump to Wednesday the 29th where the Yankees headed to Baltimore. And we all know, it goes without saying, but I guess I'll say it anyway, we know how much the Yankees love playing at Camden Yards, and well, that would continue. Because on Wednesday, with Garrett Cole on the mound, the Yankees would win 9-3, and although the score would be closer on Thursday, the Yankees would walk away with another victory by the score of 8-6. They nearly blew that game in the bottom of the eighth when Pedro Severino for the Orioles hit a go-ahead two-run homer to put them ahead 6-5, to but then Aaron Judge, who was just on an absolute tear at this time, and you know it would continue through the Boston series and even a little bit up to now, but Aaron Judge has just been playing on another planet as we know, and his home run streak, which he went on throughout the course of these last two weeks when he hit a home run five nights in a row, He hit a total of six and five nights because one of those nights he hit two, but five days in a row he hit at least one home run. And one of those home runs would be the reason why they won this game because in the top of the ninth, on the verge of losing to the Orioles, Judge came up and hit a three-run homer to put them ahead eight to six, and as I said earlier, that was the score that they won by. That extended his home run streak to two because he started the home run streak by homering the night before in the first game against the Orioles. And again, as I said, that streak would go all the way to five. Only Don Mattingly and a couple of others have ever hit a home run for more days in a row than that, so he was definitely in good company there. So Judge has definitely had a very hot start to this abbreviated season. But moving along now to Friday, July 31st, the last day of the month. Before the Yankees kicked off a weekend series against the Boston Red Sox, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, but there was a report that came out that Rob Manfred wrote a letter to the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association. We heard of him a lot throughout the negotiations to return to play, and also, of course, we know about Rob Manfred's name very well, and for the most part, to say the least, other than him obviously being the commissioner, that is not a good thing. As we know, he has made himself very infamous with a lot of boneheaded decisions and statements he's made in the past, and that didn't stop Friday. Because Manfred sent a letter to Tony Clark, the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association, saying that if the players and everyone else don't get the COVID problem under control from when the Marlins thing happened, then he threatened to cancel the season. 
And yes, although the commissioner mainly just does what the owners say and says what they tell him to say, Rob Manfred does still have a voice of his own, he does, and he has a big one at that as the Major League Baseball commissioner. And although the players are definitely at least partially to blame for what has gone on with COVID-19, the league definitely has to take some responsibility too, as does Rob Manfred as the commissioner. The league are the ones that are supposed to be obviously overseeing things, and the players and team personnel and the coaches, they should all be following protocol to the best of their abilities. And yes, I know it's difficult because it's such a habit for them, but the players are spitting all over the place, they're not really distancing from each other or wearing masks or anything like that in certain scenarios when you see them on camera during the game. And of course, the only thing the league has done to help correct the situation is write a threatening letter to the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Very helpful, Rob. Why don't you and the rest of the league take some responsibility as well? This burden is on everyone and you have to work together. Not point fingers. But as always, as is with Rob Manfred, the deflection seminar was as strong as ever. Pointing fingers, not taking responsibility or using your big voice as the commissioner for anything helpful whatsoever. Nothing new here, folks. Nothing at all. And it was made even funnier the next day when he came out with a new statement, and it seems that he changed his tune. Another shocker there. Because then, of course, he had to come out the next day and say, oh, you know what? We're gonna play because I'm not a quitter and we're not quitters. Wow. Nice damage control there. It's really hard to keep up with him. So I just made the decision that I'm not gonna listen to a word he has to say unless something massive actually happens. Like, the season is to actually be canceled or something. Unless something huge like that officially happens or there is something big to report, I'm just not going to listen to Rob Manfred anymore because I'm going to catch stupid. So that's the whole Manfred debacle. But really quickly, speaking of things that there are to actually report on, a few days later, especially because of what also happened with the Cardinals, as we know, since some of their guys thought it was a good idea to go to a casino... The league actually stepped up a little bit instead of thinking it's a good idea to write a threatening letter to just cancel the season instead of working together. And who knows if this will actually work, but the league did step up at least a little bit by enforcing new health protocols to try to stop the outbreaks on certain teams with the virus. These protocols include masks having to be worn during travel on buses and planes before and after games. Definitely no more dopey club or casino visits. And each team will actually have a health officer with them at all times, just making sure protocols are being followed. And the officer or official or what have you will report back to the league every week so everyone can ensure the rules are being followed. So finally, instead of just a threatening letter to cancel the season, we're seeing some needed supervision on behalf of the league because this is their responsibility too, especially their responsibility but also for the players too and everybody in the organization that's doing all the traveling and being around each other all the time. This needs to be a group effort from both sides. This is everybody's burden, but especially the league. They're in charge. So hopefully these new protocols are actually followed through with, taken seriously, and that they actually work. Because nobody wants more COVID outbreaks on more teams. But as far as Friday's concerned, also before we get into the final scores for the weekend series, the Yankees against the Red Sox, I did mention in the introduction talking about a huge blow that the Yankees bullpen took when news came out that one of their guys needed Tommy John surgery, and that news did come out on Friday, and that man is Tommy Canely. 
And of course, we cannot overstate just how much he means to the Yankees' bullpen. He's such an important arm. We know that Tommy is an electrifying personality. He's got an even more electrifying fastball with a devastating changeup, and he's a really, really important arm out there at the back end of that bullpen. And although the Yankees will be getting Chapman back at some point since he tested positive for COVID-19 and he's on his way back since he was cleared, but they're not rushing him, but although they will be getting him back at some point, there is no overstating how big of a blow losing Tommy Canely is to the Yankee bullpen. Who knows his future as a Yankee? All we know right now is that his recovery time is from 9 to 12 months. That's typically what the recovery time is for relief pitchers. So even if he is to come back by next year, he's probably going to miss most of the season, at least. But this news was really, really unfortunate, and obviously, we just hope Tommy Canely recovers as soon as he can, and that he has a smooth road to recovery. So that news came out on Friday, and he did actually get the surgery, Tommy John surgery, on this past Tuesday, five days ago. So obviously, all the best to Tommy Canely. But as far as what happened in the weekend series last weekend with the Yankees against the Red Sox, on Friday, the Yankees defeated them by a score of 5-1 to one after a nice start by Jordan Montgomery. On Saturday, the Yankees won 5-2. to two. Tanaka returned for that game, and he was on a very low pitch limit. I believe he was on 50 pitches for a pitch limit, but he went two and two-thirds, allowed one earned run in the short time he was out there, so he did fine. And then on Sunday, the hectic game, the Yankees won 9-7 to after so much back and forth, and mainly, again, in part to Aaron Judge, as he was still amidst his home run streak by this day. I mean, this game, <laughs> it was just the epitome of back and forth. James Paxton made his second start of the season, and of course, people were concerned about him after the way he looked in Washington with his velocity down and just really having trouble getting outs and with that finishing pitch of his, whether it be a breaking ball or the slower fastball since he's dropped so much in velocity. But people were concerned, and really, in that first start in Washington, he really had a difficult time getting outs. The breaking ball either hung right down the plate or is completely non-competitive. The fastball velocity was weighed down. Even other pitches in his arsenal, like his off-speed pitches, they were just all off and he looked really, really bad. So people were hoping that they would see a turnaround in this game against Boston. And they really didn't, despite how incredible this game was in the end, and how intense it was throughout, you really didn't see an improvement in James Paxton. It started off right away in the top of the first inning when Xander Bogarts hit a two-run homer to put the Red Sox on the board 2 to nothing. but then in the bottom of the second, Aaron Judge would come right through and continue his home run streak with a three-run homer to put the Yankees ahead 3-2 to two right away, but then in the top of the third, James Paxton allowed the Red Sox to hit back. Rafael Devers, RBI single, tied the game at three. Then Xander Bogarts, who the Yankees just could not get out that night, hit an RBI single to make it 4-3 Boston. And then Christian Vasquez hit an RBI single of his own after that driving in Bogarts to make it 5-3 Boston. But then the Yankees answered back. Again, just the epitome of back and forth. Bottom of the third, right away, Gary Sanchez RBI double. One of very few hits he's had this year, as we know. He has struggled <laughs> quite badly. But he drove Stanton in to make it 5-4. Then Gio Urshela hit an RBI double to tie the game at 5. And then by now, James Paxton was out of the game because he just went the three innings. But he proved that just on that night, he really just couldn't hold the lead. So he couldn't go any further. And he just really looked tired, did not show confidence in any of his stuff. And he looked basically just as bad as he did in Washington, more or less. Velocity way down, off-speed pitches and breaking balls just not working. 
And that's rough for Paxton. He's known to really throw like 97, 98 on that fastball, and sometimes that's a great put-away pitch. It's a real weapon for him. His breaking balls are usually really sharp and tough to read. But through his first two starts, his velocity is around 91, 92, maybe 93 for the fastball. That's a big drop in velocity. And as I said before also, the breaking ball was all over the place. So at that point, it was a tie game, and it was up to the Yankees offense and the bullpen from there. In the top of the fifth, though, Xander Bogarts again hit a solo shot to make it 6-5 Boston. But then again, in the bottom of the fifth, the Yankees answered right back with a solo shot by Luke Voigt to tie it at 6. Then Rafael Devers hit a solo shot to make it 7-6 in the top of the 7th. And then in the bottom of the 8th, the Yankees made their ultimate comeback, which would be the final nail in the coffin and allow them to sweep the Red Sox in the weekend series. In the bottom of the 8th, DJ LeMayhew hit an RBI single to tie the game at 7 because death taxes and DJ getting a hit. Am I right? And then after that, Aaron Judge yet again. This would be the night where he had two home runs in one night, and this would be the big one. Two-run homer to put the Yankees ahead 9-7, to and as you know, that was the score that they would win by. So the Yanks were on a tear. Aaron Judge was on another planet, and even now he's still doing fine, but especially then just playing on another planet, totally in a league of his own, and they were heading towards Philadelphia after the schedule changed. Because, as I said before, those Philadelphia games that were postponed in which they were supposed to play in the beginning of that week were now postponed to the beginning of this past week. So although they did make up for the Philadelphia Phillies games, as I'm about to tell you shortly once we go over this past week's games, they were supposed to be playing against Baltimore this week, and they were supposed to be playing three games. And they played two the week prior. So in the chaos, they were able to get two Baltimore games in, and they were able to make up these Philly games. But even right now, there is still one Orioles game not accounted for for the Yankees, and that's about it. So all things considered, especially compared to a team like the Cardinals, (laughs) I would say the Yankees are okay. But coming into this past week, and even right now, they still have that one Orioles game not accounted for. But in the beginning of the week, they made up for the Phillies games that were postponed. They would do this by playing the Phillies on Monday, having a day off on Tuesday, and then playing a doubleheader on Wednesday, then having the last game on Thursday for the total of the four games they were supposed to play against them the week prior. So on Monday, the Yankees played the Phillies in the Bronx. And the Yankees would enter this game with a 7-1 record, riding a six-game winning streak. And they would win this game by a score of 6-3, despite how annoying the rest of this series would turn out being. And you'll see what I'm talking about shortly. However, this victory did give them an 8-1 record and extended their win streak to 7. So as I said earlier on the show, the Yankees really were on a hell of a streak. But on Monday against the Phillies, Garrett Cole was on the mound. He would have himself a really solid start going six innings, only allowing a run, striking out four, and giving the Yankees some starting pitching length, which, as you'll hear shortly for the rest of the week, the Yankees sorely lacked in that area. That, and in many instances, especially in Tampa, runners in scoring position, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's stick with Monday. So... As far as offense is concerned, right away in the bottom of the first on Monday, DJ LeMayhew got the Yankees on the board with a solo shot to make it one to nothing. In the top of the third, Jay Bruce would score the only run off of Garrett Cole. He hit a solo shot against him to tie the game at one. And even though in some innings throughout this game, Garrett Cole also got into some trouble, had some long at-bats, and that's happened to Cole quite a bit in this young abbreviated season so far. He said, oh, you haven't even seen the best of me yet. But even so, even in games when you haven't seen the best of Garrett Cole, he'll still go out there and give you six innings of one-run ball like he did on Monday. 
So that just shows you how truly elite Garrett Cole really is. But the Yankees would answer right back and back up Garrett Cole in the bottom of the third when Brett Gardner hit his second home run of the season, a solo shot to make it 2-1 to Yankees. Then right after that, Aaron Hicks would hit an RBI double, driving in Aaron Judge to make it 3-1. to And then from there, the Yankees just never looked back. Bottom of the sixth, Gio Rochelle, a big three-run homer, his third home run of the year at the time. That would make it 6-1 to in the bottom of the sixth. And then the Phillies would score a couple more times in the seventh and the eighth inning on an RBI single by Adam Hastley and an RBI single by Gene Segura. And the final would be 6-3 Yankees. Now, from this point forward, this is when the rest of the series would be both very strange and very annoying. Not only because the Yankees' win streak would end, or because of the outcome of the games, but also because of what happened in the middle of the games between bad breaks, umpires, some of these games just saw it all. And you know that if you watched, obviously. And speaking of when the games happened, because they had to play a doubleheader on Wednesday, and you're probably asking, in case you don't remember, well, why didn't they just play on Tuesday? play the two in the Bronx and then the two in Philadelphia. That's it. But no, they needed to do a doubleheader on Wednesday because the glorious tropical storm that I ranted about earlier rolled through on Tuesday. So that postponed the game on Tuesday. Just great. So now in games that they were having to make up for from the week prior to begin with, they have to make them up again. So they scheduled a doubleheader for Wednesday in Philadelphia, which obviously was the first time the Yankees got a look at the new seven-inning doubleheaders. And because the Yankees are supposed to be the home team in the Bronx for the second game of the four-game set, they decided to do the rest of the series in Philly and have the first game of the doubleheader list the Yankees as the home team. And there was a mix-up in jerseys, but on paper, the Yankees were the home team in confusing fashion because the game was at Citizens Bank Park. But obviously, home field advantage doesn't mean nearly as much, if anything at all, without fans in the stands. So they had the ability to do this. A rapid schedule change in the middle of the season in this hectic season where we knew we would see crazy things. And surprise, surprise, it's gotten crazy. So Tuesday was postponed thanks to the storm and on to game one on Wednesday, Jay Happ started the game and it basically went exactly the way you would envision a Jay Happ start going. And it's really annoying to me because I spent weeks on this podcast citing how the Yankees were going on and on about the work that he put in throughout the offseason working on his craft. And obviously, also, we remember in the first spring training and even throughout summer camp how he really looked a lot better. He just looked sharper and like he was ready to turn things around. But now that the season has started, of course, we've gotten the J-hat back that we all know. The guy with extremely hittable pitches and a high ERA. Not worth much at all, if any, of that $17 million a year that the Yankees are paying him. But the Yankees did give him an early lead in the bottom of the first. Glaber Torres drove in a run by grounding into a double play. He made it 1-0. And in the bottom of the second, Brett Gardner hit his third home run of the season. The home runs are really the only hits he had on the season to this point, so that was really funny, but he already hit his third home run. A two-run shot in that bottom of the second to make it 3-0, so they gave Jay Happ a fairly comfortable lead right away in what was only a seven-inning game. But then, of course, in the top of the third, he had to give it right back. Bryce Harper, two-run homer, walks in a run with the bases loaded by walking Phil Gosselin. Roman Quinn grounded into a force out to make it 4-3, to three. so they lost the lead, and the Phillies wouldn't look back from there. Top of the fifth, JT Realmuto hit a solo shot to make it 5-3. Reese Hoskins, RBI single, 6-3. Bryce Harper reached on a fielder's choice. Two runs came home because of an error by Kyle Higashioka behind the plate. JT Realmuto, RBI single, 9-3. Scott Kingery, RBI single, 10-3. 
D.D. Gregorius, RBI single, 11-3, so they just piled on. But then in the bottom of the seventh, because the Yankees were listed as the home team, even though they were in Citizens Bank, they finished up the offense in the bottom of the seventh because they were the home team they batted last. Last licks, as they say. Thyro Estrada, who was back with the team, hit an RBI single to make it 11-4. Aaron Judge hit a three-run homer to make it 11-7. And although they were still down by four runs, the Yankees were showing some capability to come back, but of course, it was just a seven-inning game, so the Phillies got the final outs that were necessary, and in seven innings, the Phillies defeated the Yankees 11-7. Then game two came around, and the Yankees were able to notch a victory in this one 3-1. They used the opener strategy in this one with Loisica, and the bullpen took it from there. Avilon pitched a scoreless inning, Chad Green pitched a scoreless two and a third, Adam Adovino pitched just a third, and then Zach Britton finished it off for the save in the seventh. And offensively, in the top of the second, the Yankees got on the board by Luke Voigt hitting a solo shot, but then the Phillies tied it up right away in the bottom of the second. Andrew Knapp hit an RBI single to tie it at one. Then Mike Talkman in the top of the seven that took all the way to the end of the game for the Yankees to jump out in front, but they would, and ended up winning on an RBI double by Mike Talkman and an RBI single by Gio Urshela. So they would split the doubleheader, the seven-inning doubleheader that day. And they would try to take the series on Thursday, but unfortunately to no avail, as they would lose 5-4. to four. Jordan Montgomery pitched, and for the most part, he had a pretty tough time starting things off very badly with a three-run homer from JT Realmuto right away in the bottom of the first to put the Yankees down 3-0. But then Mike Talkman showed some sign of life on behalf of the Yankees by hitting a two-run single to make it 3-2 Phillies in the top of the second. But then in the bottom of the third, Montgomery gave up a two-run double that would be the dagger for the Yankees in this game. That would make it 5-2, to two. and then the only scoring the Yankees did after that was in the top of the seventh, when Gary Sanchez would show a sign of life by hitting a two-run homer that ended up having to be reviewed, but they confirmed that it was over the wall for a home run. That would make it 5-4 to four Phillies, and then after that, the Phillies would close it down and win by that very score, 5-4. to four. And throughout all these games, even the Tampa ones, believe me, the umpires also played a role in them. I have to give a shout-out to the umpires and how brutal they have been this season. Season, even more brutal than usual, and that says something, but the umpires have been absolutely terrible this season. And throughout these games, especially in the Tampa Bay ones too, they definitely had such big calls that they literally altered some huge moments in some baseball games. And I know they usually have a habit of doing that in general, but my God, has it been frequent of late. So even though the Yankees grabbed the split against Philly, just a really annoying series, so I was glad to see them get out of there. And they would head to the Trop, and as we know, the Yankees usually never play well in the Trop. It's just a really annoying place to play. I hate it there. I hate the Trop itself. I just hate whenever the Yankees go there. The Rays are a pesty team, and that's a credit to them, but they are annoying to play. The Trop is annoying for anybody to play in, and it is obviously a very ugly-looking ballpark, as we know. That's nothing new. And I just hate whenever the Yankees have to go there. Fortunately, after this series is over, whatever happens later on in today's game, after today, the Yankees are not going back to the Trop for the rest of the season, so thank God for that. But Friday, although Tanaka had himself a great game, on just a 60-pitch limit, he still was as economical as ever. He was the Masa we know, especially when it comes to pitching at the Trop. He's always pitched very 
very well there. He made it through five shutout innings, struck out five guys, only allowed one hit. He was just really, really dominant. But the Yankees offense was not, and we would continue to see that for the rest of the series. I don't know what's going to happen later today. Hopefully they hit better today here on Sunday. But the next two games after that on what would be a doubleheader yesterday, at times, lots of blown chances and struggles with runners in scoring position. And that would happen on Friday as it was the first time this season and in a very long time also since the Yankees were shut out. We know the Yankees rarely ever get shut out. They lost one to nothing despite how well Tanaka pitched and the only run by Tampa Bay was on a sacrifice fly by Michael Perez off of Adam Adovino in the bottom of the eighth and that was that. That's really all there is to say about that game. Really good start by Tanaka but really frustrating on offense and they just couldn't get anything going. It was really a nothing game. But yesterday, it was doubleheader time. The Yankees would split the doubleheader. They would win the first one by a score of 8-4 to four and lose the second one by a score of 5-3. to three. And in the first one, the offense was way more awake than in the night prior, of course, because they only lost one to nothing. And the offense was really not even there. Lots of blown chances, but that wasn't the case in the first game. As in the top of the third, Mike Ford would hit his first home run of the season, a two-run bomb to right center field to make it two to nothing. Gio Urshela would hit a two-run double after that to make it four nothing. In the top of the fifth, John Carlos Stanton would hit a solo nuke to left field to make it five nothing continuing his hot streak. He was really just doing a good job just getting hits, and although he slowed down for a couple of days, he was still just getting on base, working his walks, and just doing his thing. He's had a really good start to the season. Unfortunately, his luck would not continue on, as I'll mention shortly, but it was 5-0 at that point. In the bottom of the fifth, things got a little scary when G-Man Choi hit an RBI double to make it 5-1. Then Jose Martinez hit a two-run shot to make it 5-3. But then in the top of the sixth, Aaron Judge would hit right back with a two-run shot of his own to make it 7-3. Kevin Kiermaier would get an RBI by driving in Hunter Renfro on a ground out to make it 7-4 in the bottom of the sixth. And Gio Rochelle would hit a sack fly in the top of the seventh to make it 8-4, and that's how the Yankees would win. Garrett Cole was on the mound for the first game, and although he only pitched four and two-thirds innings, he allowed three runs that was all in the fifth inning of work that he couldn't get out of. His pitch count was just really high, but before the end of that fifth inning took place where he allowed all three of his runs, and unfortunately, his ERA went a little bit up because of that, but don't forget before that how dominant he was. He was striking everybody out. In four and two-thirds, he still had ten strikeouts. Obviously, though, he wasn't happy he couldn't make it through that fifth inning. There were a couple of at-bats where they just really made him work, and his pitch count was just driven way up high, but despite him being tired at the end there with 107 pitches and him being frustrated with the end of his outing, he still looked really dominant. Then in game two, Michael King would start. He got into a lot of trouble in the first inning, but fortunately only allowed one run, but it was on a bases loaded walk, so that was kind of annoying. But speaking of the walking, that happened to be a big factor in this game because not only were there bad breaks, umpires playing a factor, failing with runners in scoring position, but also the Yankees just gave the Rays so many opportunities. The Yankees walked nine Rays on this evening, and this was just the start of it in the first inning. You can't walk nine guys and expect to win a game, at least not easily. But in any event, when it comes to the rest of the details with the rest of the game, in the top of the fourth, Luke Voigt tied the game at one with an RBI single to right center field, and then a product of maybe keeping in King for too long, and then Luis Avilan just not able to wiggle out of trouble. In the bottom of the fourth, the game would no longer be tied after a two-run bloop single by Austin Meadows off of Avilan. It was really frustrating, right in on the hands, and it just blooped it right over third base into left field. 
far too deep for a play at third and too shallow for a play in left. As I said earlier, when on this road trip, just a great deal of bad breaks happened, this was one of them. Just a jam shot that found grass, or in this instance, I guess, turf. The Rays led 3-1 after that. Then Kevin Smith hit a two-run single after that to make it 5-1. And then, unfortunately, another example of the seven-inning doubleheader being bad probably took place in the top of the seventh here because the Yankees showed signs of life. DJ LeMay, who hit a two-run single, that made it 5-3. The game would end by that score, but before the end of the game, Aaron Judge hit a ball to left center field that just missed a home run, not by much, but it did miss a home run, and that's why the game did end 5-3. Seven-inning doubleheader, and that was the end. But you know the Yankees like to come back late. If they had two more innings of work and they were showing signs of life there at the end, who knows what could have happened. So that was probably another example right there of why the seven-inning doubleheader could definitely sting you. Unfortunate, but the Yankees would lose the game. And they would also lose Kyle Higashioka to a right oblique strain that day the news came out. And also they would lose Giancarlo Stanton to a strained left hamstring. He left the game after advancing to second. When he was on base, he looked to be grimacing when he was on the base paths. He left the game with a tight left hamstring. He went for an MRI and it was revealed that he strained his left hamstring. He lands on the IL, and you know that for fans, especially like me, who were talking up Stanton for a while, just really, really hoping he'd stay healthy throughout this whole shortened season, and also after getting off to the hot start that I was praying he would get off to, it is just so, so frustrating to see him go down to an injury, yet another one. Who knows exactly how long he'll be down for, but obviously time is not on his side because of the shortened season, but my god, how upsetting is it that John Carlos Stanton is hurt again. I know this is an opportunity for his haters to go absolutely nuts on him again and rag on him and everything, but I'm sure he's got enough to deal with, and I am just so ticked off that he's hurt. The Yankees can manage without him. They have so many resources, but I was just really hoping for this to be a year where he silences those haters, proves the doubters wrong, goes out there and plays the shortened season fully healthy, and continued the hot streak that he started with all throughout and just had himself a very nice season. Hopefully, if he can come back around the time of the playoffs or maybe just before that, he can pick up right where he left off, but this was just really unfortunate news. So Stanton is on the IL, as is Kyle Higashioka, the Yankees' backup catcher. They selected Eric Kratz from the 60-player pool after that news came out about Higashioka to be the backup catcher, and Eric Kratz did play. He batted ninth in the second game of the doubleheader. So he will probably be the backup catcher going forward until Kyle Higashioka is to return. As far as today's game starting in about an hour now from when I'm recording. I'll read out the lineup to you. DJ LeMayhew's leading off at second base. Aaron Judge is batting after him, batting second, playing right field. Aaron Hicks is batting third in center. Luke Voigt is batting cleanup at first base. Glaber Torres is batting fifth at shortstop. Hopefully he continues to show more signs of turning it around after he's gotten off to a slow start as well. But he started to show some signs of improvement during yesterday's game, so hopefully again he continues that today. Mike Ford is DHing in the six hole. Gio Rochella is batting seventh, playing third. Gary Sanchez is batting eighth at catcher. And Brett Gardner is rounding out the lineup, batting ninth, playing in left. 
James Paxton's on the mound, and I hope and pray that he comes out there and shows some step in the right direction. Maybe we see some more velocity on the fastball, and if not, hopefully we'll see him utilize his pitches in his arsenal better, like the breaking ball, the off-speed pitch, and maybe he could put together a good start. The Yankees do need a lot of starting pitching length because, as you heard in those prior games, and if you remember from watching those games yourself, they did not get a great deal of length out of any starters outside of Garrett Cole in some of those games. So hopefully Paxton can give them the length that they need today. Paxton's been through a lot, having gone through the back surgery back in February, having the long road back throughout the pandemic, and not really having any sort of a spring training or that long to warm up, and now he just gets thrusted into a shortened regular season. It's been anything but ordinary, and it's hectic. But nonetheless, I'm pulling for my boy. I'm concerned about him after what we've seen throughout his first two starts. But I'm looking for the warrior again that we saw in the ALCS in Game 5 last year. I'm pulling for Pax. And I hope the Yankees can at least split what has also been an annoying series, as it usually is, at the Trop. And of course, I hope that Pax can showcase at least some improvement today. As far as a couple of really quick other pieces of news that mainly took place yesterday, in the midst of the doubleheader, a lot of roster moves were made, especially what happened with Higashioka and Stanton. But after the first game of the doubleheader, the Yankees ended up optioning Thyro Estrada again to the alternate site, and they recalled Ben Heller from the alternate site for bullpen help. So that was a quick little bout for Thyro. And he was likely there for reinforcements in case they needed him for the doubleheader. But again, as I said two weeks ago, because of this hectic season and its unique circumstances, we're probably going to be seeing these roster moves all the time. So we don't have to mention every single one, but you know, when it's important, maybe bring it up. But we're going to be seeing these all season long, especially as the rosters continue to shrink every couple of weeks until they shrink down to 26. And we know that this past week, the rosters did shrink from 30 down to 28, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they would. And then in the second game, Stanton strained his left hamstring, as we know, and this morning, alongside the news that he strained his left hamstring, which obviously resulted in the Yankees moving him to the 10-day injured list, the Yankees immediately recalled Thyra Estrada, so a lot of back and forth. And as far as what the Yankees are going to do at DH in place of Stanton while Stanton's on the IL, and we see a little bit of this today with Mike Ford in the lineup in the six-hole DHing, Boone said that they would be playing around with the DH position a little bit, and he said they would continue to reevaluate the situation with the DH position in the days to come. And they could just continue to DH Mike Ford for now, maybe switch in some other guys they have right now at the big league club, or maybe going forward they can bring back Andujar because they actually optioned Andujar as well. He got off to a slower start, so they could choose to bring him back, or maybe they could even bring Clint Frazier back, which was another topic we discussed two weeks ago. And a lot of people have been calling for that to happen right now. But as of right now, here on Sunday morning, we just don't know yet what'll come of Andujar or Frazier, if anything, but we'll just have to see. As far as what's ahead for the rest of the week until I talk to you again next Sunday, as far as this upcoming week, the Yankees have an off day on Monday. On Tuesday and Wednesday, they face the Braves at Yankee Stadium as they come home for their longest home stretch of the season of nine games. And the way this road trip has gone so far, and especially if they lose again later today, they'll need this home stretch. But it starts off with these two games in the Bronx against the Braves on Tuesday and Wednesday, both at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. On Thursday, the Yankees have off again, and then they will have another weekend series in the Bronx against the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium. Each of those games, again, start at 7. 
On Friday, it's at 7.05, Saturday, it's 7.07, and on Sunday, it's at 7.08. I know that was a lot to take in, guys, but that's part of playing a little bit of catch-up. But of course, as far as today is concerned, I hope we see some better things out of James Paxson, and of course, I hope the Yankees get the win so they could at least grab a split at the Trop before heading back home here to the Bronx for their long homestand. But as for now, that is all for episode 58 of Yapping Yankees today. One last shout out to Team Left Jab and Grunt Talks MLB before we end as usual. Team Left Jab features Team Left Jab Uncensored and the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms at Team Left Jab and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, you name it, the list goes on. Be sure to check out Team Left Jab. And our other shout out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, follow the man behind the website, Darren, on Twitter at YankeeReport28. Special thanks to Grunt Talks MLB and Team Left Jab for helping spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. And guys, also, don't forget to follow me on all social medias. You can find my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at Mike Scuds. 97. Always remember to help spread the word on there. Tell everybody you know about Yapping Yankees and also just follow me on social media to stay tuned to everything having to do with me as well and to also stay up to date on everything Yankees outside of this podcast. But I do hope you SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify listeners enjoy it as always as well as you YouTubers out there. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel and also subscribe and listen to Yapping Yankees on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're at it, listen back to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you've missed. Episodes 34 up to this one, episode 58 are available on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, thank you 3000 for listening, guys. I'm Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, August 16th, When I come at you with episode 59 of Yapping Yankees, approaching episode 60, and hopefully next week is a little bit shorter. I know I've kept you here a while today, but there was a lot to catch up on, so there you go. But until next Sunday, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, and as always, look out for your loved ones. Have a good week, guys. Take care.